Well, I hope you guys can take me seriously, those of you that saw me last night, and um, I got all the, the face paint off and everything. I, I hope you can take me a little bit seriously than what I was like last night. There's a bit of an echo. Is that, can anybody else hear that, or is that, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, last night was really good, a good celebration. Once again, congratulations, Gabby, on 21. It's a good celebration of Gabby and just the 80s in general, so um yeah, no, it was a good time, a good bit of nostalgia and those sorts of things, so really excellent, good that we can be here, it's probably the reason people are a bit tired, but um, we prayed about it and we'll get through this. So, imagine that, um, open your mind's eye for a little bit and just imagine that you are chained up in a prison cell and... Um, you change to the floor and it's just rock and there's no bed, no straw, nothing. It's just a bare bones sort of cell like prisons used to be, not today. Um, the weather is getting colder, winter's coming and um, the cold, dank, dark floor that you're sleeping on uh, as you wrestle around in your 60-something-year-old body, you're trying to get comfortable and it's just not working. Um, you are very restless, tossing and turning through the middle of the night. You're pulling on your shackles that are rubbing raw sores on your wrists and on your ankles. Um, you, you used to have friends. You had friends. You had good friends, in fact. You even had brothers, but they've all sort of taken off. Um, they've left you. They've fled. Some have just taken off with things that they like more than you. Others have just moved to different towns and things. And um, they've left you in this pretty dark place. And you have this this pain, this overwhelming, directionless um, abandonment inside of you. So then think again, a different scenario. Um, You're in a comfortable chair, possibly even a lounge chair, and you're sitting in glorious air conditioning, and there is a lovely summer day outside, but it's just a little bit too warm. So I'm sitting in air conditioning for it. And then out of, uh, whether it's ingrained habit or whatever it is, you or micro-boredom, that's a word, allegedly, um, you pull your phone out and you start flicking through your Facebook or your Twitter feed or your Instagram or whatever, mindlessly, or if you're right-handed. Um, and you see, you come across this post of like this person that you knew back, you grew up in church together, and they're denouncing Christianity and they're taking on some new form of free-thinking atheism and they've listed all their explanations and the things the Bible got wrong and why they're angry with this and that and you flick through a little bit further and there's another friend that you went through Sunday school with as a kid and she's celebrating a housewarming and she's moving in with her boyfriend and then you flick through a little bit more and there's other friends that you grew up with maybe you went to a Christian school and there's other kids that you went to school with and they're all um, celebrating their heavy partying and their just the just chasing the empty chew toys of life that are probably mindless materialism everyone's just after that they're celebrating all this stuff and then you inside yourself you have that same sense that feeling of um, overwhelming and directionless sort of abandonment so that's the feeling that feeling that we're going to talk about today, that feeling that both those scenarios leads to is that of uh, loneliness. And we're going to have a brief look at that today. Um, 
Now, no, before I open up this topic, I don't know what is, I, I don't know the depth of loneliness that might be weighing on your heart at the moment. I, I don't know. I, I've never really probably experienced deep, dark loneliness in my life. Being um, sort of an introvert, I'm sort of a little bit immune to that, a little bit, probably more so on the scale. But I, I do know that there are different causes for it, brought about by sin in this world through death of loved ones, through relationship breakdown, through all sorts of things, misaligned priorities and pleasures that aren't centred on Jesus. Um, loneliness that can come out of not having a special person to share life with. Loneliness that can come from not having close friends with which to uh, wrestle through life. And then there's also um, a loneliness that comes from thinking that you had these sorts of friends and then looking up one day and realising that there's not many around. Where are they all? And you don't really know who or, or where to reach out to to stabilise yourself when the problems come. So this morning, I want us to take a look at um, how Paul dealt with loneliness um, and examine some of his actions. My aim is not to come up with a to-do list of three points on how to beat loneliness like some flaky BuzzFeed article or something. Um, my aim is to end like one of those, just those countdowns, you know, that catch your attention on social media. My aim is to end just looking toward our Lord Jesus, um, who experienced the very pit of loneliness, as deep as it goes, in his death to, um, for all agony, your, your agony that you might be experiencing uh, on that cross of Calvary, okay? So that's my aim. So by way of first things first, um, if you remember right back to the garden in Genesis, God had created this brand spanking new world, everything. And when he created it, he said, that's good. And when he created this, he said, that's good. And that's good. And that's good. And that's good. And then when he's casting his eye over the whole thing, what did he see that wasn't good? That's right, Luke. Yeah, spot on. It's not good that man was alone. And God saw that. So he made for man a beautiful gift to be, to be treasured and loved and to have that really close, intimate relationship as a helper. And God created woman. God, God created Eve, the woman. So loneliness is not God's design for us. Okay, He's a relational being. And because of that, he created in us created in his image. He created in us the need for relationships and companionships and community, this and, and that. There is that built-in need for us. And even you introverts that will want to crawl out from your cave and uh, break into cold sweats, thinking of talking to strangers. Yeah, me too, yeah. Um, that's, that need for relationship is in us. I didn't even catch your eye then, Rudgy. <laughs> But yes, we need this relationship. That it's, built, it's a built-in need in us. Okay? Now, as Christians, we stand in a unique position in this world when it comes to loneliness because we are exiles and wanderers and sojourners and vagabonds and all those other words. Um, in this world, we are walking through. We're on a journey to our eternal home. And when we keep that in the forefront of our minds, as we should then that can sort of lead to a type of loneliness, of being 
in a foreign place, in a, in, a, in a foreign land. But on the flip side of that, we're also in, in the unique, um, unique position where we have the most effective solution to loneliness in life that the world just doesn't understand. Okay? We, we yearn deeply from God's spirit within us um, that because his spirit is in ministering to our spirit, we yearn deeply for that. We want to see God. We want to be with him. The spirit living within us is one part of the Godhead. And so the Godhead's ultimate goal is always for unity and for us to be in that through Jesus and the Spirit living in us and ministering to us. So that is the tool that we have in this life as Christians to persevere in the loneliness of this world. So for our case study today, we're going to be in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. We'll just sort of the end of chapter 4. So we'll get to that soon. So open your Bibles and apps and whatever to that now. Um, those two scenarios that I described in the intro... Um, were almost different in every single aspect. But they both led to that same emotional wilderness of loneliness, yeah? The first scenario was that of Paul, that we're going, that was his experience for the case study that we're going to look at today. And the second was just a general feeling that a lot of us can get being in this um, fast-moving, media-heavy, electronically connected, but relationally disconnected world. Okay, so let's read 2 Timothy chapter 4. And we'll start from verse 9. This is Paul talking to Timothy, obviously. He says, Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, and Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus, where I came, sorry, when you come, sorry, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm, and the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him, Yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defence, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through the message might be fully, so that through me, sorry, the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So the overall structure of that little section in the end of Timothy is probably the thing that I like most about it. It's the closing instructions from Paul to Timothy, um, probably some of the last that he ever wrote down because the Holy Spirit's let him know that his time's almost up, he's almost at the end of his race. And the measure and the priorities of a person at the end of their life really speak volumes of their person in their last words. Hence that phrase, you know, famous last words that we love to bambi around all the time. 
So the path of Paul's closing remarks that we just read goes something like this, okay? Help me, mate. Come to me soon. Come to me soon. Like, I'm, I'm, people are deserting me left, right, and center. I, I need you guys here. Bring my coat, bring my journal, and especially my copy of the, of the scriptures. Stay away from that shady tradie Alexander. Okay, he was, he was a dangerous dude. Everyone deserted me at my hearing, but now here's the shift. Watch, watch his shift. I forgive them because the Lord has been with me and he is my strength. I'm going to keep doing his good work because no matter what, he has got me and he is holding me and he will bring me to himself. All glory to God forever. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Parky. So I know that was a paraphrase that probably even the most staunchest fanboys of the message would probably cringe at, but it gives a good sort of arc of, of Paul's thinking here and his problems and how he's sort of uh, consolidating in his own mind and um, in, his, in his loneliness. And it gives us a solid grounding and an anchor and a bit of an example or a model to look, to look towards um, that we can sort of move through in the lonely times of our life. So the first point to note of, um, of Paul's instruction here is his call for help. All right, so Timothy was Paul's son in the Lord, all right? His disciple, his young Padawan, if you're a Star Wars nerd, okay? That he was teaching and encouraging in, in growth. And when lo- loneliness overwhelms him, Timothy's the one then that Paul cries out for sends a letter to. Now, this thing, loneliness, it can be such a hidden pain sometimes that it can even go unnoticed by those people closest to us sometimes. So if you're suffering with loneliness, call out to those closest around you. But if the reason that you're lonely is you don't have those close people around you, then call out to your church family. That's why we're here. Please don't be shy and recoil more into your loneliness. You can put your stabilizing limbs out on your church and you can cry out to them, help them. Ask them to help you, sorry. I read an account the other day, actually, of about what a drowning person looks like. Anyway, apparently drowning doesn't look like drowning. Uh, well, at least... Yeah, who knew that? But anyway, apparently drowning doesn't look like what popular media and TV shows and movies and stuff tell us drowning looks like. Um, Drowning people can go unnoticed um, by their friends a few metres away or sometimes even in the case of being right beside someone. Someone could be in deepish sort of water standing on a sandbar and someone there could be drowning. They might not even know. See, a drowning person has no physical ability to wave their hands around or scream out or or splash water crazily or anything like that. They're they're using all their energy in a sort of dog paddle to keep their mouth above water. They, They can't help themselves. So that brings sort of in a second side to this point, okay? There are those of us who were sitting beside them we're brushing shoulders with, we're walking past people who could probably be really drowning in this loneliness, okay? And how will we ever know if we're barely invested in anyone's life? Oh, this, is a, this is a call to really 
talk past the small talk with people into the deep waters of someone's life. It's not going to happen in one conversation, but strike up you know, conversations within generations of people and demographics and races. Let's just get this oneness happening. So, if you're lonely, if you're this drowning person, okay, don't, don't wall yourself in. That's like if you're drowning, trying to dog paddle out to deeper water so that other people don't see you drowning. It's dumb. It's ridiculous, okay? Ask for help. It's okay, and it's expected that you ask for help. So, and that point also then bleeds into another larger part of this picture when I, sort of, I remember the, the story of King David when he was anointed, but he wasn't yet enthroned as king. And he's fleeing Saul and Gath, and he, to escape, he acts like a crazy dude. He's like scratching the wall, he's dribbling, into, he's dribbling slob into his beard, and, and the guys are like, nah, our loony bin's full, get him out of here. So he runs away and he escapes into a cave by himself, and there he's by himself. And yes, his family works out that he's there, and then um, other people come. Other people come and join him. People who were in distress, people who were in debt, people who were just bitter. And so into, into David's um, lonely solitude come other broken people. Other broken people are coming in and they're forming around David as their captain. And I, I love this picture because it really speaks to me of what uh, an aspect of the church is. Uh, with this bunch of, of broken people, saved by God's grace, all coming together in and encouraging each other on to follow Jesus. Using our strengths that can fill in for another person's weakness. Sure, if you're a lonely person, you might meet up with someone who's faltering in the faith. Someone is struggling with an addiction. You guys can get together and you can limp and hobble and stumble across the finish line. We need lonely people. Lonely people, you're needed here. You're needed in the church. Now, another point to note is Paul's loneliness from his deserters. Um, Paul has lost a lot of his fellow workers and old friends. Oh, I know how Adrian feels, man. I already am cooking down up here, eh? Demas, the first one he mentions, okay, is a guy who's fallen in love with the world and he's run off to Thessalonica. And this is one of the guys who was around with Paul when he was initially imprisoned in Rome. Okay, he's mentioned in Colossians and Philemon as one of you know, Paul's fellow workers that he was with. The world is such a tempting distraction and uh, a, full of alluring things that can pull us away from our walk with the Lord and, and leave that extra burden on the people that are left with their hands on the plough, still working. All right, if you've, got your, if you've had your head down in the past um, doing the Lord's work and lately you have looked up around to see that many in the church that were with you have sort of left and gone, then you need to follow Paul's example here and continue the call to bring in your reinforcements. And what Paul's done here, even Paul's dragging in those younger dudes who are trying to fan the flame of their gifting, like Timothy. So that's the call for you older guys as well. 
So Paul has called for Timothy to bring Mark. This dude's name is also John Mark, whatever, semantics, just a different name, with him to join him and Luke in Rome. So he wants to get the gang back together, four of them in Rome together, to build each other up, to help each other through the trials that they're going on. Now, the point stands out for me here is the joy that comes from investing in and discipling a younger person and seeing them forging a strong path ahead. All right, Paul, earlier in his letter, recounts Timothy's tears and then um, also how much he wants to see Timothy and the joy that Timothy brings him when he sees how, how Timothy's going in his walk with Christ. So for those older people or more mature people, disciple someone um, less mature than you in Christ, okay, for that joy that will be brought out of that. Huh. So, interesting fact also, we see Paul has also called out for Timothy to bring Mark with him. Now, funnily enough, Mark, this John Mark guy, was a deserter himself previously. Thanks, Mouse. Um, you remember that Paul and, and Barnabas on their first journey... They take out and they took Mark with them and he hightails it back, to, back home to Jerusalem. And this must have left a real sort of uh, impression on Paul because come the second journey, um, Barnabas wants to take Mark again. Let's give this guy a second chance. And, Mark, and Paul's like, no. Nah. So Paul and Barnabas have a Barney <laughs> or a fight or yeah, whatever. And they fall out and they split ways and, and they go their own, their own ways over this one dude, Mark. This little, this little young guy, Paul Mark. But notice here that obviously Paul has moved on. And notice here the right, the right spirit of, of repentance and restoration that, that Paul wants to extend toward Mark. He's like, get Mark. Get Mark. Bring him too. I love that kid. His ministry has been so helpful to me. And you see, if Paul had stayed at odds with Mark, then he would have had one less person to call on. See, sometimes loneliness can come from having also repelled others away. Um, I know there are cases of loneliness that we have no control over at all. Circumstances completely out of our control. I understand that, but sometimes if many friendships are gone, maybe it's about time we started to examine why all of your friends have left. What's the common factor there? And then start asking forgiveness and, and repentance for all the wrongs that you might have brought into a relationship and then start seeking that restoration that, um, that, and so you can end like Paul and Mark here. Now, here comes the awesome ramp up at the end. Um, after Paul mentions Alexander, the shady tradie from before, who he had a run-in with, he mentions that all the others deserted him at, at his hearing um, when he was dragged out of prison, had a hearing... Everyone deserted him, thrown back into prison. So it's like it gets to this point in the passage and it's like his mind has been pulled in another direction. Okay? You can almost feel the switch happening in, in like mid verse 16 and, and 17 to the end. The whole feeling shifts away from the earthly here and now problems of just people and things and, and, and whatever and then it switches to uh, reflection on how the Lord has been with him through his trials and his loneliness, and he looks to the future. 
completely at peace with what will come next, resting in what Jesus has done for him. So in that, in that moment of overarching eternal perspective that he seems to get at this point as he's writing it down, seems to snap down neatly on top of this little temporary lonely predicament, this time in his life, and it gives it all the context in the world. So in my, like, when I read things, I, I really have a sort of vivid imagination of all sorts of what this sort of looked like and what that, maybe, maybe my mind runs away a little bit too much, but um, I, I, when I'm reading this, I have a clear image of Paul and He's in his dingy prison cell. He's, he's scrawling this letter down and he's getting frustrated with the shackles because he can't move one hand without moving the other. Or maybe he's scrolling it down with his left hand. Maybe that was his thorn in the flesh. Who knows? Um, no, his right hand. He had to be right-handed. And as he's writing it down, then a, a smile starts to lift his face as, as, as you, you can almost see the physical evidence on Paul's face through his writing of the Holy Spirit pulling his thoughts, pulling his thoughts toward what the Lord has done for him, what the Lord is doing for him, and what the Lord will do for him. Okay, and he gives him a smile, and it lifts his attitude, and it comes out in his writing, and I think that it is in the deepest times of, oh sorry, the times of deepest loneliness, I think that the Lord ministers to us the most clearly. I think that what we've sort of seen in Paul is evidence for that. And other good evidence is the other book we're going through. What happened to John when he was in exile? Jesus showed up in amazing, majestic, blazing glory to reveal himself to John. So, my dear Willowburn, Jesus is hope for the lonely because... He experienced utter loneliness when climbing that hill to die for everything wrong with this world. Everything wrong, everything broken that leads to loneliness included in that. Okay, it was all paid for by his death and um, experience when he experienced that, what he had never experienced before in the separation from his father. In, in that moment when Jesus on the cross, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He, he knew then the absolute completeness of loneliness. Like he scraped the bottom of the lonely pit. If you're lonely, Jesus has been lonelier. He understands you. He's that great high priest who can sympathize with us. He knew what it was like to have the God of the universe turn his back on him. Not just friends, but God. He knew what it was like to take that white, hot, furious wrath of God and take it on himself, the sinless son, and to quench it out for you and for me. What a saviour, what a lord. What a hope we have in him. Praise you, Jesus.